You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what we hope that you'll get out of this class. Our goal is that you're going to learn the basic skills on how to read the Bible better. Okay? So that's, that's our goal for today. Um, our goal is that you will learn the overall story to the Bible. I love what J.R.R. Tolkien says. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, says, The Bible is the story of all stories. And so many stories that you see on a movie or in, in plays or in books often are echoes of the grand story, which is the Bible. So we're going to talk a little bit about the overall story of the Bible. Another goal that we have is, uh, our goal is that you are going to know about the different types of writing that you're going to find in the Bible. Our goal is to equip you today with resources so that when you're having difficulty understanding uh, what you're reading, you'll know where to turn, you'll, you'll know where to, to, to get some help. And mostly, is our goal is that you, uh, ultimately that you'll know Jesus in a deeper way. Because there's no point knowing the Bible really well and missing the author, right? And so that's, uh, those are our goals for today. Um, and so just to kind of give you uh, an outline, we're going to, uh, just before our break, uh, we're going to uh, look at how, why we need to read the Bible well. Uh, Marty's going to talk a little bit about the inspiration of Scripture. Then we're going to look at the basics for interpretation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about translation. How do you choose a good translation? I was talking to a friend of mine in Alberta last week. And uh, he was asking me, what, what about this translation? What about this translation? How do I know this translation is better? And so we talked a, bit, a little bit about principles of you know, how to find a good translation, a reliable, trustworthy translation. So Marty's going to share a little bit about that as well. Then we'll have a break, and then we'll head into kind of the overall picture of the Bible, how to read the Old Testament for all it's worth, how to read the New Testament for all it's worth. We're going to talk a little bit about study tools, commentaries, things that will help you on the journey. And then we'll just kind of wrap things up at uh, 2.30 uh, with, you know, how to read the Bible with your heart and mind. Now, in the midst of that, probably right after uh, the section on the Old Testament, we'll have lunch. And so we have a, a delicious 12-course, no, uh, just sandwiches and, uh, and cookies. And uh, Karen Hogue, our faithful Karen. Karen, are you here? Are you hiding somewhere? Oh, yeah, Karen's put all this together. So we'll have to thank her in a little bit. There she is, yes. Uh, does that sound good? That's what we're going to be doing. And we'll also, along the way, give you lots of opportunity to ask questions. Okay? Because many of you will have lots of questions as you go along. Does that sound like a good way to go? Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's get started then. Let's uh, begin. Since uh, this is an act of worship, we are worshiping with our minds. Uh, let's spend some time in prayer. Word of life. Jesus Christ, you are the Word, and in you and through you we live. Apart from you, we are lost. And you have revealed yourself. You're not a God who plays hide and seek. You are a revealing God. And you reveal yourself to us in the Word. And so we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive and the courage to respond to what you say to us this day. 
I lift up everyone here. Uh, it's, a, it's a long day. I pray that you would help us to be attentive, to be alert, to get our minds working and our hearts working. And, uh, but we pray that all that we do today would be an act of worship, that we love you so much and we love your word, we want to read it for all it's worth. So that's our desire, Lord, and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Now, as Christians, from a Christian perspective, we believe that the Bible is a pretty extraordinary book. Uh, we've talked about this in our 40 Days in the Word. We believe that uh, the Bible is not just a collection of nice stories, it's not a collection of fairy tales, but we believe that the Bible is God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. It is his revealing, it is his revelation to us. And it is an extraordinary book. I like what uh, Chuck Colson says. He says, the Bible, banned, burned, beloved, more widely read, more frequently attacked than any other book in history. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it. Dictators of every age have outlawed it and executed those who read it. Yet soldiers carry it into battle, believing it more powerful than their weapons. Fragments of it have been smuggled into solitary, solitary prison cells and have transformed ruthless killers into gentle saints. So it's an extraordinary book. But some of you may be wondering, you know, honestly, David, do, do we really need to interpret the Bible? I mean, don't you just read it? I mean, um, you know, why are you making things so complicated? I mean, it, the Bible is, is the Bible, and, and anybody can read it, and why do we have to go through this whole process of, you know, how to read this, how to read narrative, how to read, you know, just read the Bible. And uh, I was thinking about that, and there's, there is truth to that in, in, in some respects. I think part of the issue is that for Christians is not so much that we don't know how to read the Bible, is we read it too well, <laughs> and we know exactly what, it's asking, what God is asking us to do, and we have a problem doing it. I think that's probably our, our, our bigger issue. But still, I remember um, just in the summer, uh, I shared this the other day uh, in, in the science class, uh, we were at this uh, gathering in, in, in Winnipeg in the summer. Marty was there as well. A bunch of uh, pastors were there. And, and, and there was one big debate going on. There's a, there's a very important debate for the Alliance. It's about women in ministry. And so everybody, you know, we're, we're pastors, right? So we talked. Way too much. Um, and so everybody's lined up to give their, their, uh, their, their, their opinion. And this one guy stood up, young guy, and he said, uh, he had his Bible, he says, I don't know why this is such a problem. It's very clear. He goes, the Bible said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And I'm a Bible teacher, and I know, and I just... Just about, if I had hair, I would have pulled it out. Because I'm just thinking, no, it's not that simple. And I'm a little worried that you're a Bible teacher. Because, you know, there are some aspects, if you've read the Bible for a while, you realize that there are parts that are not that easy to understand, right? So, what we're going to be doing is... Um, is, is, is we're going to look at how to read the Bible well. Now, what we're not going to be doing is we're not going to offer you some clever, um, uh, really uh, unique interpretations of how to read the Bible because 
As a general rule, if you have a unique interpretation of the Bible, it's probably wrong. Uh, most unique interpretations of the Bible lead to cults, just so you know. Um, so the goal is for you to learn the Bible, to, uh, to read the Bible for all its, uh, all its worth. We are people of the book. Um, we had, I don't know, uh, Brenda, do we have any of those books left? Did we sell them all? Oh, we have one left? Okay. Oh, okay, we still have a few. It's all, this class is based on a, a book by uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Uh, Gordon Fee was our a professor at Regent College, and Douglas Stewart is at Gordon Conwell. Uh, a book that they wrote a number of years ago called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. So a lot of uh, what you're going to be hearing today is drawn from this very useful book. So I have some copies of the book. We just sell them at cost. They're $15, and many of you have picked it up already. I've seen that. Okay? So let's uh, look. Why do we need to uh, read the Bible? Uh, why do we need to read it well? Well, partly it's because the Bible, if you've read the Bible, it's made up of a lot of different kinds of writing. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, so I mean, you have poetry. Uh, there's some parts that look like history. There's other parts that look like a lot of lists and a lot of numbers. Um, there's some writing that you just scratch your head, uh, like books like in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. So there's all different kinds of writing in the Bible. There's wisdom literature, there's letters, there's parables, there's apocalypse. And each genre you need to read differently. You would not read a, um, a car manual, a Toyota car manual, the same way you would read Shakespeare, right? You, 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 you wouldn't read them in the same way because there are different kinds of writing. And so if you try to read the book of Revelation like you would read a car manual, you'll end up into trouble. You will, but some people try to do that. So, um, and I think a lot of people have difficulty reading books like Leviticus. You know, a lot of people read the book of Acts. It's like, oh, that's, that's exciting. It's clear. I know what's going on. That's great. They'll come to the book of Leviticus and it's like, oh, man. I mean, it's so different. And I think a lot of reasons why people read Acts instead of Leviticus is because they don't know how to read the book of Leviticus. So that's, that's very important. So, we need to uh, read the Bible well because our, 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 our desire is, to, uh, is to, to look at how to get from there to here. That's basically what we're going to be looking at. Because the Bible is an ancient book. It was written a long time ago in a different culture, different history, different challenges, different world. And so we need to look at how we can get the world of the Bible, what's going on there, how to bring it to today. How to get from there to here. And so that's one of the challenges that we're going to look at today. If we don't do this well, okay, here's the thing. If we don't do that well, if we don't go from there to here, right, uh, we can go off in a lot of strange directions. Right? Because if, if you don't, if, if you get a word wrong, uh, like you heard the story about the, the monks and, and, and they were copying the Bible, copying the Bible, and they came across an ancient manuscript and they came across, and, and you know, these monks were living celibate lives for a long time, and they came across an ancient manuscript. And one monk just began crying because he realized it didn't say celibate, it said celebrate. <laughs> it's an old joke. But, but, I mean, we can run into trouble because some of the uh, translation issues from the past, uh, for example, the word repent, when Jesus says repent, uh, was translated in the Latin Vulgate as do penance. So do something in order to make up for your sins. Huge difference in the history of the church because of a, of, of a translation issue. When we talk about the word cross, cross in, in uh, you know, today we talk about, you know, I've got to bear my cross, and what the, you know, oh, the wonderful cross. 
the cross in the first century had a very different meaning than sometimes how we think of it today. So how we need to go from there to here and, and not skip any steps. Um, there's some challenging passages in scripture that we need to be able to figure out because on one hand you read some passages and it seems very clear that women should not be teaching, uh, at least teaching to men in the church. And yet, and yet, or, and, and there's other passages where it says women should not even be speaking in a church. And yet in the very same book, you'll find Paul giving outlines of uh, how a woman prophesies within the context of church. So we, we got to unpack some of that, right? Because some of that creates a little bit of tension. We'll read in scripture about tensions between eternal security, yet losing one's salvation. How do, how do, you, how do you figure all that out? Um, you know, you read the book of Le Leviticus. If you're not careful, you're going to be mapping your diet according to Leviticus. And you know, that's not necessarily good. So these are some of the issues that we need to look at, right? We need to learn how to go from there to here. And... Um, but before we do that, we need to ask the question, you know, uh, can we trust the Bible? What, what do we believe about the Bible itself? And for that, I'm going to hand it over to Marty. He's going to lead us on inspiration. Okay. So it's good to be here. Um, it was interesting, on my way over here, I dropped my son off at work, and so he, he was wondering about what I was teaching this morning, and we had an interesting discussion on on inspiration and uh, interpretation, but he's a history major, so he was like, well, if you're going to interpret, you definitely have to interpret with the original author's intent, so I'll leave that to you later. He agrees with you, David, but, <laughs> but the Bible is, as we believe, as followers of Jesus, is, is God's revelation to us. So what does that mean, and what is the Bible for? And I think one of the challenges we get into when we're starting to study the Bible is it can be very much become a very much a head thing, and we forget the heart part of it. And so I want to encourage you to remember that, that we, as we read the Bible, as we interpret it, we need to soften our hearts and expect that these texts, as we read them, will affect our lives, because they are God's revelation. And instead of being like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart, or the Pharisees, who misread the text, we really need to pay careful attention to what God has revealed to us. And so... The classic text on what is the Bible is found in 2 Timothy 3, and I have it up here. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And that term God-breathed is theoneustos, theo meaning God, and theoneustos meaning breathed. So that sense of somehow scripture came from the very breath of God. Now... Uh oh. Just do the arrow. Um, one of the books that I read in preparation, do you want to hold it up, Dave, is the Walter Brueggemann book called Why the Bible Makes Sense. And it's a really good book to talk about the, the sense of what God's intention was for Scripture. And I, I like this quote, which unfortunately now your projector cuts off the very top of it, but I think it's in your book. The one main reason we read scripture is so that we may not settle easily for any other notion of life, forgetting who we are and the understanding of life that we have confessed and embraced. Informed by the Bible, we are invited to live in faithful response to this faithful covenant partner. And so the sense is that as we read the Bible, our minds and our hearts will be opened up to a different way of looking at the world, 
a different way of looking at people and God. And so that God uses the scriptures to shape our minds, to invite us into this other world. And so we don't just live by what we see. And so as we're reading, we really believe that God is showing us or revealing himself to us. He is revealing himself, not just information, not just how-tos. So how is God active in the Bible? And there have been many different theories over the years as to how God revealed himself to us in Scripture. But I think that the... I'm just going to stick with the one that, that I believe that is evangelicals. We believe, and then I'll talk a little bit about other theories. But the, the main theory that evangelicals believe is called verbal plenary. So that's a verbal plane, the plane reading. So God's superintendence of the human authors of Scripture, so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to humans in the words of the original autographs. So somehow... God and the person writing combine together to produce what God wanted to be written. Now, there's other theories that have gone over the years and have been seen as not. Well, especially this one, the dictation theory, where a person just picked up a pen and then God took over their brain and they just started writing. That is not an accurate version of scripture. So the person who was writing actually was thinking and they were using their own words and their own thoughts, but somehow God combined with what they were thinking and writing to produce our scriptures. Does that make sense? Some people have taken scripture and seen it as less than what we would believe. And they would just see scripture as, you know, great authors who are very inspiring, kind of like, you know, we really love Eckhart Tolle, Tolle or whatever. He's so inspiring, and the Bible authors are so inspiring. That's not what we mean when we talk about inspiration. It's actually God's revelation. And um, some people have said, oh, the scriptures just, just describe how God revealed himself. So the scriptures themselves aren't divine revelation, but the acts or the events that they write about are the divine revelation. Again, we believe that it's actually the scriptures themselves that are divine revelation. And, and someone like Karl Barth went so far as saying that the Bible becomes divine revelation when the Spirit is working in us. So the Bible itself isn't, but when the Spirit works with us and we read it, that is when revelation happens. No, actually, we believe that revelation is actually in the text, that God revealed himself as the writers were writing in their own words and thoughts. So Jared Packer, who's taught on this and thought about this a lot, I, I like how he explains it. Inspiration establishes that the Bible is a divine product. In other words, scripture is divinely inspired in that God actively worked through the process and had his hand in the outcome of what scripture would say. Inspired scripture is simply written revelation. Scripture is not only man's word, but also and equally God's word spoken through man's lips or written with man's pen. So I think that explains what we're talking about when we say inspiration really well. So the Bible is trustworthy. It makes no false statements or, or misleading statements on matters of faith and practice. So when the scriptures say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is actually true. So it's not trying to trick us or mislead us. When, when a statement is made, it's actually true. Does that make sense? But truth is expressed in concepts and understandings from the period that the writers wrote. 
So for instance, if you take a verse like Isaiah 42.2, and this will apply to probably some of what David's teaching in his science class. Isaiah 42.2 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and, it, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And when you hear that verse, it, what, what the writer is describing is the way ancient people saw the heavens and the earth. It's their view of cosmology. It doesn't mean that now we have to go, oh, there's a circle above the earth, or the circle of the earth, and there's a canopy up there, because that was how the ancients saw the world. They were describing who God is in light of their own description of the heavens and the earth. Okay? So we don't have to go to the Bible and treat it like a science textbook. We're trying to understand what it is saying about God in the way that ancients saw the world. And lastly, truth is expressed from the viewpoint of the observer and not from modern scientific understanding. So again, if you think of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, describes the day that the, the um, oh, my writing is too small, the sun stood still and the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. That's how the text describes it. Well, that was... That influenced science for many years. They thought, well, the earth doesn't revolve around the sun because in Joshua it said the sun stood still. But we know, again, that the sun actually is still <laughs> and it's the earth that's moving around the sun. And so when we look at scripture, we, that was how the ancients understood the, the way that the world worked. That's not what we're talking about when we say that scripture is inspired. Okay? That, is, that is the description of how... Joshua, the people in Joshua's time would have understood the heavens and the earth to be working. What the point was is that God has power over the heavens and the earth, and God can stop. Perhaps at this point the earth was what stopped, who knows. But something stopped and changed because God is the one who has power. Okay. All right. Well, let's look at uh, the basics of interpretation. Uh, the first thing you realize about the basics of interpretation is that uh, if you don't use a large enough font, it's hard to read. Right? <laughs> it was really large on my computer. It seemed fine. But, uh, okay, now, we're going to talk a little bit about interpretation. Now, really, this is not rocket science. I mean, uh, basically, what we're trying to do, I'm not offering a secret formula. Uh, it's not a, a revealed mystery of how to unlock the secrets of the Bible. This is not the Bible code that I'm, that I'm offering you. I'm not you know, Dan Brown offering you the Da Vinci Code and how to unlock these secret things. It's just good, basic, how to read things well. And a lot of the things we look at today apply you know, just to, to, to how to read things well. Okay? So we're going to be talking about the first task is exegesis. There's a great word. You know, try saying it. Exegesis. Exegesis. Say exegetical. Exegetical. Right, use that a few times in a sentence and you'll impress some of your friends. <laughs> well, it comes down to your exegesis. Right? You can just say that and it's just very good. Um, now, what is exegesis? It's simply a careful, systematic study of Scripture. To discover, what are you trying to discover? The original intended meaning of the text. Right? And every one of us, uh, of us is an exegete of sorts. Like when you read a book, when you read anything, you, you have to interpret what you're reading. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, right? So the question is that we're going to look at is the question is whether or not you and I are, 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 are good 
at exegesis, if we're doing good exegesis. And one of the stories, uh, I think I shared this once before, um, when uh, Gordon Fee, when he uh, taught his class on uh, exegesis at uh, Regent College, he always began the whole course with the story of a fish. Um, and there was this guy, he was, um, I think he was an entomologist, so he studied bugs. And uh, the first day on the job, they put him in a room and they said, well, and so he's excited, he had his lab coat on, his clipboard and everything. And they said, all right, we want you to uh, do this today. Um, we want you to uh, look at this fish. The guy goes, okay, I'm an entomologist. I don't know why, I'm not an ichthyologist. There you go, a fish studier. Um, but I'll look at this stupid fish. And so he looks at the fish, looks at the fish, and after about a half hour, he's like, you know, he drew the fish, he measured the fish, and he, he was done. And, uh, but nobody came back, so he's still stuck in the room. And so he's stuck in there for a few hours, and while he's in there, he's like, well, this is weird. Okay, I guess if I got nothing else to do, I'll keep looking at the stupid fish, right? I'll keep looking at the fish, and I'll look at the fish. And I'll... But then as he looked at the fish, he started to notice things that he didn't really notice the first time he looked at it. And then he started to pick up the fish, and he turned it over, and he noticed, oh, that's a little bit different. He put it on a different angle. Basically, for the next few hours, he started to see things about the fish that he didn't realize. Lunch came along. He's like, okay, well, that's out of the way. After lunch, uh, he says, all right, what would you like me to do? And they said, well, yeah, we want you to look at the fish. <laughs> okay, I'll look at the fish. So he goes back in the afternoon. He spends a whole afternoon looking at the fish. But what happened is during that process, he began to see things. Through careful analysis, he began to see things that he didn't really notice if he just kind of skimmed it in the first half hour. And what exegesis is, is basically looking, looking very carefully and deeply at what God's Word is saying. So we don't skim over God's Word, we read it deeply because it is His Word, right? We don't divide it into isolated pieces. Um, we're called to read it deeply. And so that's our first task. Now you need to... Uh, Make sure we need to do exegesis as well, um, because you can't get our words wrong. All right? In this case, this is an unknown gospel story of Jesus calming the store. I don't know if you've uh, come across that one. Just make sure you're paying attention. Okay, learning to do exegesis. Okay, the key to good exegesis is to learn to read the text carefully and to ask the right questions of the text, of, of, of what you're reading, of the Bible. And so there's two kinds of questions one should ask when approaching the Bible. One has to do with context, and one has to do with content. When you look at context, when you look at the context of the Bible, you look at two aspects, history, uh, historical, and literary. Okay? So the historical context has to do with the time and the culture of the author and the author's readers. Okay? And so you have to know, what is going on? Why is this book in the Bible, why was it written? What was the occasion? What was the purpose of this particular book in the Bible? Um, what is the time and culture of the author and the readers? What, are, what is the reason for writing the book? What difference does this make to understanding the text? So, for example, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians, because we're teaching that Sunday morning on uh, 9.30. So, if you were to read the book of 1 Corinthians, what would be one question that you'd want to ask as you're starting to read? Just get yell at it. What would be one question that you'd bring to the table? Well, why did Paul write it to Yeah, which it actually implies another question. Who wrote it? Yeah. Paul. Who's Paul? <coughs> why is he writing this letter? 
What other things? Who are these Corinthians? And why is Paul writing a letter? Where are the Corinthians? Is that Corinth, Texas? Is that Corinth, you know, Ontario? Where is Corinth? And what's going on? I mean, those are just basic questions that, that you would ask. Okay? So that's uh, so some of the historical context. The other thing we need to look at is the literary context. And, and that's recognizing that words only have meaning in sentences and in relationship to the preceding and succeeding sentences. And that's one of the issues that I have um, sometimes, I don't see them around as much anymore, but there used to be something called a promise box. Have you ever heard of those? And in the box, you'd have God's promises to you, which is fine and good. But what would often happen is you'd get these verses and they're completely isolated, right? So it'd be like, you know, me taking this book and saying, futility of all life. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, like, well, what's, what, what's, what's going on? What, what is, where do these words fit? They have to fit somewhere. If you took a novel, you know, P.D. James mystery novel, and you read like three words, it's like, oh, that's awesome. No, you got to know what's going on, right? So, but it's funny, we, we do uh, do that with, with, with the Bible. Uh, we need to understand what is the context. Uh, if you don't know the context, you can run into trouble because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And if you stop there, the human race would probably cease, right? <laughs> That's what Paul says, right? And nobody puts that verse up on the wall, right? <laughs> nobody. I remember when I was working at Regent uh, Bookstore uh, up at Regent College, we get these greeting cards, and one of the greeting cards, we opened it up, and it's just like, oh, that's a strange passage. And it was a passage about God's glory and who he is from the book of Job. But it was written, if you looked up the passage, it was written by one of Job's detractors, one of the guys that God actually punishes for getting a wrong view of who God is. But it was just a, a verse that was ripped out of the book of Job, somebody probably did a word search, took it out and put it into a Christian uh, greeting card. And so we need to understand the context. So the most important question is to ask is, what is the point? Right? What is the point? What is the author trying to say? Because words mean different things in different contexts, right? You know, when, uh, P uh, when Peter denies Jesus three times, it could be in a, a different context, right? Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> How about this one? You idiot, you said cast the nets, not cast the nets. <laughs> or how about this one? Frankincense. <laughs> okay, I thought those were quite funny. <laughs> okay, let's carry on then. All right, so uh, let's look at the content. We looked at context. Content. Content has to do with the meaning of words, the grammatical relationship and sentences and discerning what the text was meaning. Right? And this is where a good Bible study tool is helpful, and, and, and Marty's going to be sharing on that later on. But you think about it. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. Can you imagine getting... Okay, so yesterday I get this long email. Mark, you sent me this long email. Okay? And I open up the email, and it's like, okay, I'm going to read the first sentence today. Tomorrow I'll read the second sentence. The day after that I'll read the third sentence. Or maybe I'll read the last sentence. No, no, what am I going to do? I'm going to read the whole email to understand what you're saying. And that's, that's one of the things we'd hope uh, you to do is out of this class, part of learning to do exegesis is learning to read 
what the, what the entire meaning of the text is. Okay, so that's the word exegesis, okay? It's just trying to read the Bible in such a way to discover, to learn what is the original meaning of the text, right? Okay, there's a second word for you, another cool word for you. Hermeneutics. Try that one. Hermeneutics. And you're thinking like, Herman who? Right, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is simply the... I know him. You know him, yeah. Hermeneutic, yeah. Uh, is covers a whole field of interpretation. It actually includes uh, exegesis, but basically what we're looking at is, okay, how does the Bible, which is written, you know, 2,000 years ago plus, how does this apply to my life here in Coquitlam in 2012, right? With my kids, and, and how does it apply? How does that, where are the connecting points? How do I get from there to here? Now, here's a point. You need to begin with exegesis before you get to hermeneutics, meaning you need to understand what does the text say in, the, in its own context, in its own self, before you get to the point of saying, how does it apply to me? If you begin with a text and ignore its context, ignore what's going on at the time, and ignore the history, and just say, oh, how does this apply to me? You could run into some troubles. You could run into, uh, into, into some strange situations. Um, in fact, most cults take place. They, 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 they come about because the founders have not done exegesis. And so, you know, you'll, you'll get uh, Mormons baptizing the dead on the basis of 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Uh, Jehovah's Witness denying the deity of Christ without doing, you know, without doing proper exegesis. In fact, the founder of JW's um, couldn't even uh, recognize the Greek alphabet, yet he was offering interpretations of, of scripture. Uh, there was a, uh, an article, um, Amanda, you printed it off for me, an article that just came out last week about the rise of snake handling down in the States again, uh, 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 in churches. And there's some churches as part of the worship service, you know, Pastor Brad would finish the worship package and then pull out the snakes and then pass around the snakes and people would be... Hand all based upon an interpretation uh, at the end of the Book of Mark. So, I mean, yes. I think, what is it, every year, I think five or six people die? Yeah. Like, from snake handling in church? <laughs> I mean, it would be an exciting service. You'd have to you know, it would be that. But a lot of people, like in the 80s and in the 90s, there was this whole movement in the States called uh, this prosperity gospel, God wants me to be rich. And that was based upon a reading of 3 John 2, which, if ripped out of its context, you can go down that road. But what happens is they don't do the proper exegesis. You need to understand what is going on within the context and within the overall argument of, let's say, the letter or the book that you happen to be reading. Okay? So, uh, the other one is, some people have actually um, argued this. You know, what do you do in the book of Judges, in chapter 11, where you have Jephthah, uh, in order to fulfill his vow, he kills his daughter. You may be getting to this, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I'm following along with what you're saying, but how do you know where to start and when to stop? Because if you... Basically, you'd have to read through the whole Bible. So if you start and say you're reading Mark, 
where do you stop so that you're not losing the context? Mm -hmm. Great question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would, um, th there's different places to, to, uh, to, to stop, and we'll talk about that as okay. we go again, how, how to read, how to read a, a book well. We're going to actually unpack each, each of the, not each of the books, but each of the genres. But that, that's a very good question, because like, how much do you have to swallow? But you do need to know the overall story. If you don't know the overall story of Scripture, you can also go off in some strange directions, right? So that, that's a very good point. The other thing is, if you don't do the text well, if you don't, you know, if you begin, you begin with the here and the now, and you don't begin with the then, um, you know, women here would never, they would never wear their hair up. You could never wear a top knot. You know that? Well, I mean, because in Scripture, it's very clear in, in, the, in, in Mark chapter 13, verse 15, it says very clearly, let him who is on the house top knot go down. Top knot go down, right? So the top knot needs to go down, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> you can rip out a passage and, and, and isolate it, and you can argue anything. Like in, in, in 1 Corinthians, if you just ripped out a passage, you would think that Paul is saying that the Corinthians are very, very wise, because Paul says... Oh, you are so wise. But you miss the fact that Paul is being sarcastic. So you need to know the whole, the, the whole context, right? Okay, so um, let's just take a few minutes. Um, just at your table, just, we'll do this for five minutes. Uh, at, at your table, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, Okay. One of you should have a Bible. I'm, I bet most of you have a Bible. Okay, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. Now, we're not trying to figure out the whole thing, what, what this passage is saying. But look at the passage and, and just write down what are some questions that you would bring to the table when looking at this, this passage, okay? So just take five minutes to do that. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.